You're going to love this. Just love it. Really? Cool. Yes, I do. No, no, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. No, not scared. How do I get down the stairs? Yep. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you. Back live on KPFK, this is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen blogger, investigative journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, back live after a couple of uh, weeks of uh, fun drive here at KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio and Liberal Justice Radio. You can run, but you can't hide. Yep. The broadcast is back. Uh, glad you could join us this afternoon. Oh, I've got a lot on my mind. I've got a lot to catch up with. And, of course, uh, you know, there's elections. It's Yeah, I know. It doesn't seem like it's election day, week, month. But it is. Elections are coming up for governor in Virginia and New Jersey next week. Where, by the way, both states use 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems. Even now, even still, even today... So whatever the results are uh, next Tuesday, you're going to be stuck with them, whether they're right or not. Who knows? Apparently, uh, no one in those two states seems to care, I guess. So I will have uh, some news related to all of that coming up. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a lot of news today about uh, elections and voting, which we haven't talked about in a while. Um, So uh, buckle up. Uh, We've got some amazing, uh, frankly, below-the-radar news about polling place photo ID restrictions that could affect the fight uh, in that particular battle, that war on voting across the entire country. Also, repeat offenders. Yes, our good friends at the uh, Diebold Company have been charged with bribery and falsification of documents accused by the U.S. attorney in the case of, quote, a worldwide pattern of criminal conduct. Going to talk about that. Going to talk about Kansas Kansas and Arizona, who have come up with a whole new way to disenfranchise voters. Well done, Kansas and Arizona. Uh, a new way, well, I should say a new way, at least since the Jim Crow era, anyway. They used to use this one back then. Also, an update on California's terrible new SB 360 law, which... Um, I had talked quite a bit about before we went on uh, on our break for uh, for the fun drive here at KPFK. So we've got some new news on that. Plus, if I've got time, I hope I do, uh, with Chris Christie, governor of New Jersey, up for re-election on Tuesday and taking a curtain call this week for his Superstorm Sandy performance one year ago. 
we'll start, try to take a quick look back at our exclusive from inside the super secret Koch brothers 2011 summit meeting where Chris Christie was the secret uh, keynoter, super secret superstar keynoter, and uh, and what David Koch had to say about the New Jersey governor at that time and about his environmental policies. And the reason we're going to look back at this is because back in 2011, uh, at exclusively at the Brad blog and over at Mother Jones, where I wrote about uh, wrote about this, I was able to obtain. Actual audio tapes, no joke, actual audio from inside the super-secret Koch Brothers Summit up in uh, Vail, Colorado, where Chris Christie secretly appeared as the keynote speaker. And uh, so we'll talk about what David Koch had to say about Chris Christie. Hint, David Koch called him my kind of guy. So all of that is ahead. First, I want to uh, I do want to thank everyone who who supported KPFK and Pacifica Radio over the fun drive allowing us to continue to be the only true real non-corporate voice of the people over your public airwaves here in Los Angeles. Uh, it, it means a great deal. Your support uh, and uh, your vote of, uh, of confidence, frankly, that we need to continue. We need to have this one bastion, this one island of non-corporate radio that allows me and many others to come on here uh, not affected, not concerned in the least by what companies like Diebold have to say. Uh, when we uh, when we talk about the news and when we, when we talk about what actually matters to you, so thank you for that. Thank you for your support. I uh, I, I do miss being here for a couple weeks in a row when we're off on Fun Drive, but it is important, and uh, I am mighty grateful for your support. Or else I couldn't be here at all either. So thanks for that. Okay, uh, very quickly, SB three sixty. Uh, that was a California bill that uh, before we uh, before we went on the fun drive break, we had uh, uh, I talked about it quite a bit. It was passed by Democrats on party lines. They love this bill up in Sacramento. It does away with all federal testing of electronic voting systems uh, in California. So the feds, it used to be that the uh, uh, any uh, voting system that was used in California had to get federal approval first before it could even be considered for use by the state, before it could even begin state certification testing. SBC uh, 360 changed all of that, does away with federal testing, and it gives all the power to the secretary of state. Think, um, for those of you out here in California, think uh, Republican Bruce McPherson. For those of you out in Ohio, think Republican J. Kenneth Blackwell. Uh, For those of you down in Florida, think Catherine Harris. That person, that one person now, it'll be up to them, that one person, to approve any new electronic voting systems for use in the state of California without federal testing and even without state certification testing to be used in live elections. It was an insane bill, as I mentioned at the time that I was uh, uh, trying to let people know about this, since nobody was reporting on it other than me, other than bradblog.com. I asked you all to call the governor to ask him to not sign this bill, to veto this bill. Uh, Bad news, we were not successful The governor did sign that bill. It will go into effect as of January 1, 2014, and it clears the way for Los Angeles County, which is currently developing. (laughs) 
it, it's hard to even say this because it's so insane. It's so mad. L.A. County is developing uh, a brand new electronic voting system, a 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system for this, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, some four million voters. And they're planning to sell it to you. Yes, you around the country after they uh, put it in place here. They're hoping to sell it elsewhere in the country, this 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system, which will need no federal testing and uh, potentially no state certification testing at all before it's used in live elections here in L.A. County. I suspect we'll be talking more about that in the future. So that's the bad news on uh, that. Now we've got some very interesting news uh, concerning photo ID and this roller coaster that has been uh, sort of going on behind the scenes over the fight, over the legal battle, over these polling place photo ID restrictions. Now, you know we talk about this all the time. We talk about it all year. We we don't cover the uh, election horse races so much as we cover the track conditions because that uh, has as much to do with who wins and loses as anything else. Um, but so these photo IDs, uh, the, the concerns in Texas where they're putting these in place in North Carolina, they're also putting them in place in, in Tennessee, Alabama, Kansas, all over the place. Um, those concerns have made it to the news of late. That's good. Uh, I've got sort of a behind the scenes story about this that I want to talk about. But but first, before I do, and you may have heard this already, but you can't hear this enough, uh, frankly, This was a conversation on The Daily Show last week with uh, Don Yelton, who was the uh, Buncombe County uh, Republican Party uh, of Buncombe County precinct chair. And he's a member of the uh, Republican County. I'm sorry, the Republican Party state board. His name is Don Yelton. And Asif Manvi went out there and talked to him about these polling place photo ID restriction laws and how they will affect minority voters, uh, especially in North Carolina, where they have put in place the most draconian, most extreme voter suppression law this nation has seen since the Jim Crow era. Here is Asif Manvi talking to Don Yelton of the Republican Party about the uh, North Carolina Republicans' new state law for uh, polling place photo ID restrictions. Uh, I don't think any part of the law is racist. North Carolina Precinct Chairman and GOP Executive Committee member Don Yelton thinks his state's new voting restrictions are just fine. What's going to happen as a result of this law, the process is going to have more integrity. Right here in Buncombe County, there's always one or two that voted twice a year. They don't know One or two million people? No, one or two people. And that's one or two out of how many? That's just one or two out of 60,000. So statistically, there is enough voter fraud to sway zero elections. Mm, That's not the point. The bottom line is the law is not racist. Of course the law is not racist. And you are not racist. Well, I've been called a bigot before. Let me tell you something. You don't look like me. But I I think I've treated you the same as I would anybody else. Matter of fact, one of my best friends is black. So one of your best friends one of my best friends is black. Yes. And there's more. When I was a young man, you didn't call a black a black. You called him a Negro. Uh, I had a picture one time of Obama sitting on a stump as a witch doctor. 
and I posted that on Facebook. I was making fun of my white half of Obama, not the black half. And now you have a black person using the term nigger this, nigger that, and it's okay for them to do it. You know that we can hear you, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know that. You, you, you know that we can hear you. Yeah. Okay, all right. Then I found out the real reason for the law. The law is going to kick the Democrats in the butt. Wow. An executive GOP committee member just admitted that this law isn't designed to hurt black people. It's designed to hurt Democrats. If it hurts a bunch of college kids that's too lazy to get up off their bohunkers and, and go get a photo ID, so be it. Right, right. If it hurts the whites, so be it. If it hurts a bunch of lazy blacks that wants their, the government to give them everything, so be it. And it just so happens that a lot of those people vote Democrat. Gee. Gee. That was Don Yelton of the North Carolina Republican Party on The Daily Show last week, uh, talking, of course, about those those lazy blacks who are just too lazy to go out and get a, uh, a photo ID. Now, of course, what we do know is that uh, minority voters, be they uh, African-American, be they Hispanic, uh, are far less likely to own the type of state-issued photo ID that is required to vote under these purposely disenfranchising laws that Republicans are putting in place all over the country. And thank you, Don Yelton. Thank you, sir, for at least saying it out loud, for at least explaining out loud why the Republican Party wants to put these laws in place. It has nothing to do with voter fraud. It never did have anything to do with voter fraud. And Don Yelton has at least finally said it out loud. By the way, Don Yelton, after that appearance on the uh, on the Daily Show, he was asked about it. Uh, you know, was he taken out of context? Uh, he said, no, no, it, w- it was good. He said that we talked for two hours. They could have used stuff uh, from the rest of the interview that would have made me look a lot worse, he said. And then he was asked to resign from the uh, from the Republican Party in North Carolina, which apparently he now has. Can't understand why. His conversation there, though, about, oh, this isn't uh, to stop those lazy black people from voting. This is to stop Democrats from voting. That admission that he made is not actually... All that unusual. That was this. That is the same response that Texas has made in response to lawsuits uh, from the Department of Justice concerning their congressional maps that were found to be uh, illegal under the Voting Rights Act. But since they've gutted the Voting Rights Act, Texas has just put it back in place, the congressional map and their photo ID law. And in response to the Department of Justice, Texas said, well, this is not to stop minorities from voting. It's to stop Democrats from voting. They actually admitted that in their legal filing. Like, that's okay. Now, uh, I'll get back to Texas in a moment. But the problem is uh, is not and never has been uh, fraud, voter fraud at the uh, at the polling place. It's not impersonation at the polling place. There's not a lot of voter fraud, but where there is a fraud, where there is voter fraud, it's by absentee ballot. And if you go to uh, go to bradblog.com, we had a, a big photograph last week of, a, of an apartment building up in San Diego, where for some reason that uh, nobody seems to be able to explain uh, with elections coming up next Tuesday in San Francisco and, and down here in L.A. and elsewhere in the country, um, the post uh, postal service delivery person seems to have put all of the absentee ballots on the outside 
of the mailboxes in this apartment building. And so if you look at this photo, I mean, there's, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 or more different uh, absentee ballots that are just sitting there for the stealing. That's how voter fraud happens. It happens via absentee ballot uh, in all kinds of ways. That's just one as seen in that photograph. Um, last uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a story about a Maryland lawmaker who had recently changed figured out how to change 300 registrations to Republican and then uh, voted on on behalf of these 300 or so people. A Democrat in Florida a week or two ago um, was sent to jail for attempting to request hundreds of absentee ballots. That's how voter fraud happens when it happens. Election fraud, insider election fraud, voting machine uh, gaming, that's a different story. Voter fraud at the polling place impersonation, however, is not really a problem. You wouldn't know that, though, listening to Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott, uh, where early voting is now underway, by the way, in Texas. And uh, so far, the count is that one out of every seven voters uh, have been forced to sign affidavits now that the new photo ID law is in place down in the Lone Star State. Most of them women, because as it turns out, women change their name when they get married. And so the name on their driver's license may not match the name on their voter registration form. And when that happens now under the new law, they're forced to uh, at least they're allowed to vote, but they're forced to sign an affidavit under a penalty of perjury. It takes an extra minute or two. Uh, it's going to take uh, a, a lot of extra time for voters down in Texas unless this law is changed. But for right now, it's in place and it is affecting uh, women versus men. Uh, it's also uh, no doubt we will find out, but uh, no doubt it will be affecting uh, minorities as well, since we know that minorities down there don't have the same type of uh, don't have uh, state issued ID at the same rate as uh, white people. But when General uh, Attorney General Greg Abbott responded to the Department of Justice lawsuit that is now moving forward, he said a couple of different things in his response. First, he vilified Eric Holder. For filing the suit, saying, quote, just days after the U.S. Department of Justice arrested a Texas woman for illegally voting five times in the same election, the Obama administration is suing to stop Texas's common sense voter ID law. What Greg Abbott forgot to note is that woman who was arrested for allegedly uh, voting illegally five times in the same election had nothing to do with voting at the polling place. It was, again, absentee fraud. He didn't bother to mention that in his defense of these disenfranchising photo ID laws. So uh, that was one uh, response that he had to the DOJ. The other one was, uh, quote, the U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled that voter ID laws do not suppress legal votes, but do help prevent illegal votes. The U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled that voter ID laws do not suppress legal votes, but do help prevent illegal votes. Well, in fact, the U.S. Supreme Court did not determine that. What Abbott is talking about there is a, is a case called uh, Crawford versus Marion County Board of Elections. It's an Indiana case. Uh, goes back to uh, 2007. It was uh, first uh, affirmed, uh, allowed to move forward. It was the first photo ID law in the nation. 
restriction, photo ID restriction law like this in the nation. It It was in Indiana. It was, of course, challenged. And at the time, We didn't yet know a whole lot about how this would affect voters, but we knew plenty because I'd been writing about it at uh, at Bradblog for like three years by then and about the Republican attempt to put these photo ID laws in place in state after state. So we had uh, enough material that I was able to write dozens and dozens of reports on this Republican scheme by that time. But by the time it made it up to the appellate court um, in 2007, where this uh, law was allowed to uh, to allowed to move forward uh, in a two to one vote at the appellate court, the man who wrote the majority decision was a judge by the name of Richard Posner, a Reagan appointed judge. He approved this new uh, voting restriction law in Indiana. That was then appealed to the Supreme Court, where it was approved as well. The decision at the appellate level was affirmed at the U.S. Supreme Court. However, that decision did not, as Greg Abbott said, Uh, find that these laws do not suppress legal votes and do help prevent illegal votes. It didn't find that at all, actually. And I'm going to try to stay out of uh, the deep, deep, deep weeds. But I need to tell you what happened on this case, because Richard Posner, the judge in this case, came out with a pretty remarkable statement a couple of weeks ago. And this has been ricocheting around in the... uh, uh, can I say the election porn movement? Those of us who who follow this stuff really closely, he he's got a new book. Uh, Richard Posner does. He appeared on HuffPo Live with Mike Sachs, who's a journalist and an attorney. And uh, in his book, Mike Sachs noticed there was one sentence about this Crawford case. The judge had said in the book, "quote I plead guilty to having written the majority opinion." Upholding Indiana's requirement that prospective voters prove their identity with a photo ID, a law, he admitted, now widely regarded as a means of voter suppression rather than fraud prevention. So here was the judge in this case who decided the landmark case, the one case that is cited by guys like Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott, the one high profile photo ID restriction law that is cited by all of the Republicans who support this type of law. The guy who decided that case at the appellate court level, Judge Richard Posner, says he pleads guilty that photo ID laws are now widely regarded as a means of voter suppression rather than fraud prevention. So he was on HuffPo talking about his uh, talking about his book when he was asked about that comment by Mike Sachs and whether uh, he now believes that decision, that only decision uh, to support um, photo ID laws was, in fact, decided incorrectly when Posner in 2007 allowed this law to move forward. Here's that quote. I found quite interesting this quote from your book. You rewrote, I plead guilty to having written the majority opinion affirmed by the Supreme Court upholding Indiana's requirement that prospective voters prove their identity with a photo ID, a type of law now widely regarded as a means of voter suppression rather than a fraud fraud prevention. Now, of course, pragmatism is about anticipating consequences of your ruling. So do you think uh, that you and the court got this one wrong? Yes, absolutely. And the problem is, that um, th- there hadn't been there hadn't been that much activity in the way of uh, voter identification, and 
we weren't given any reason, maybe we should have been more imaginative, but we weren't really given um, strong indications that requiring additional voter identification uh, would, would actually disfranchise people entitled to vote. Now, there was a dissenting judge, Judge Evans, who since, since deceased, and I think he was right, but at the time, I thought what we were doing is right. And it's interesting, the majority opinion in the Supreme Court was written by Justice Stevens, mm -hmm. who was very liberal, Yeah, <laughs> more liberal than I was or am. So, so I think we were, didn't have enough information. And of course, it illustrates the basic problem that I emphasize in my book. Mm. We judges and lawyers, we don't know enough about the subject matters that we regulate, right? Right. And that if the lawyers had provided us with a lot of information about the abuse of voter identification laws, this case would have been decided differently. So there you go. That is the judge, the Reagan-appointed judge. Uh, who affirmed the only high-profile uh, photo ID case in the nation, the one that's cited by all the Republicans, being asked, do you think you and the court got this wrong? He, Judge Richard Posner, says, yes, absolutely. They got it wrong. This seems like it should end the debate, but of course it doesn't and it won't because, in fact, it has no uh, legal bearing what the judge thinks of his own decision years later and the fact that he got it wrong. He, uh, he also said, as you heard, that we weren't really given strong indications that requiring additional voter identification would actually de disenfranchise people entitled to vote. And uh, we heard at Bradblog.com from Bill Groth, the lead counsel for the Indiana Democratic Party uh, in that lawsuit. He, he called the Posner's admission stunning. Bill Groth went on to say that it is untrue to state or imply that the record contained no evidence from or about voters who'd been disenfranchised or unnecessarily bur uh, burdened by the law's requirements. He wrote, if anyone would take the time to review the vol voluminous record of affidavits, deposition transcripts, declarations, etc., sub submitted in support of our summary judgment motion, uh, it will be obvious that the problem with Posner's ruling was not the lack of evidence, but that, as he now concedes, he applied the wrong legal standard, including a too strict a burden on the plaintiffs and no burden whatsoever on the state to prove that the problem the state sought to uh, ameliorate Imposter voting actually existed, and it's true. Indiana could not come forward with a single example of someone uh, being an imposter at the polling place that this law was supposedly meant to stop. Why? Because it was always phony. It was always a fake law. It was meant to disenfranchise voters, and now we have the Republican-appointed judge saying, yes, he got it wrong. At least that's what he said a few weeks ago. Things have changed. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but you heard Posner respond to the fact that uh, the dissenting judge in the case, Judge Evans, who has since deceased, uh, he said, I think he is right. Well, here's what Judge Terrence Evans said in that case. Just the first sentence here. Quote, let's not beat around the bush. The Indiana voter photo ID law is not a is a not too thinly veiled attempt to discourage Election Day turnout by certain folks believed to skew Democratic. 
He went on and on in his decision, saying that the motive behind this law is that it's necessary to prevent voter fraud. But where is the evidence that that kind of voter fraud uh, ever occurred? You get the point. He got it right. Posner, for some reason, even though he was given evidence, said uh, that uh, now he admits he got it wrong. Well, that's good, but it doesn't affect the law. Furthermore, Justice John Paul Stevens on the Supreme Court agrees with Posner now, even though Stevens wrote the controlling decision in that case, affirming Posner's uh, 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 opinion, which Posner now thinks is wrong. Uh, Stevens said uh, in an interview uh, after Posner's admission, an interview with The Wall Street Journal, Stevens said that he is not a fan of voter ID and that he wasn't back in 2008. But he said, my opinion should not be taken as authority that voter ID laws are okay as Texas Attorney General is trying to pretend. Uh, The decision in the case is state-specific. It was record-specific. It does not apply to any place like Texas or North Carolina or anywhere else where they're trying to put these laws in place to keep those, quote, lazy black people from being able to cast their vote, or down in Texas where they're trying to keep women from being able to cast their vote because they had the temerity to get married and change their names. Justice John Paul Stevens went on to say, I have always thought that Justice David Souter, in his dissent, got the thing correct. But my own problem with the case was that I didn't think the record supported everything that he said in his opinion. He got a lot of stuff off the Internet and inferred things and so forth off the Internet. I bet he was reading the Brad blog. Just saying. Uh, But, said Stevens, as a matter of uh, actual history, he's dead right. The impact of the statute is much more serious on poor, minority, disabled, and elderly voters than evidence in the 2008 case demonstrated. After Posner's admission that he got the case wrong, as he said, uh, he began to get smeared over the last couple of days by right-wingers who were, who were just outraged, saying that a judge should not comment on his own ruling, even if he feels that he got it wrong years later. That it was out of line, it was, it was outrageous for Posner to admit he got it wrong. Apparently in the Republican world, if you make a mistake, you're supposed to stick with that mistake forever. In the wake of those smears against Richard Posner by uh, by some folks on the right, guess what? Buckle up. I told you this was going to be a roller coaster. Posner has now recanted his recantation. Seriously, that's what he did this week. Posner, who had the courage to say he originally got it wrong, now writes in New Republic on Monday, quote, I did not say that my decision and the Supreme Court's decision affirming it were wrong, only that in com- only that in common with many other judges I could not be confident that it was right. He goes on and on with this nuance like you've never seen, but uh Rick Hassan, election uh, law professor from UC Irvine Uh, says, no, I don't believe that Posner's reverse reversal, his disavowed disavowal, his recanted recantation. He said, quote, I do not believe it is credible given his Huffington Post comments. And in fact, his Huffington Huffington Post comments, just to remind you, he was asked directly, do you think you and the court got this wrong? Posner's response, yes, Absolutely. 
Posner forgot to mention that interview and that response when he wrote about uh, his decision and his recantation this week at the New Republic. It's an amazing story. But the one uh, case, the one high-profile case that every Republican in the country looks to as support from the Supreme Court, as uh, support for these laws, uh, the judge who originally decided that case said, I got it wrong. Go over to bradblog.com for our continuing coverage of the Richard Posner photo ID restriction roller coaster, or the uh, perhaps we'll just call it the Posner coaster, if you will. But warning, you may need to bring some Dramamine along for the read. What is love? And the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. There are thousands of us here. Fighting for your democracy right here on KPFK. This is your Bradcast. We're going to take a quick break and come back with more uh, war on voting news and Chris Christie news. And, of course, Desi Doyen returns with the Green News Report right after this break. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Our Lord is well worth fighting for. Our Lord is well worth fighting for. Next time on Smiley and West from PRI. Activist and author, our dear brother Peter Gelderloos. In the last years, uh, you've seen a lot more young people uh, start to rebel, start to think for themselves. They're paying a lot less attention to the mass media. Peter Gelderloos on the failure of nonviolence. Next time on Smiley and West from PRI. Smiley and West, Saturday morning at 11, right here on 90.7 FM, KPFK. The benefits of donating your used vehicle to KPFK include funding new and existing programming as well as increasing community awareness. You also benefit by being able to reduce your taxable income. There's no need to deal with the hassles of selling it, and you support public radio in the process. To donate your vehicle, please call 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-KPFK-AUTO. Little black boxes in cute little rows A screen that says touch me so cheerfully glows No paper trail, a make-believe pole Cast your vote down the memory hole Little black box where your little vote goes Down and down the memory hole Oh where, oh where did your little vote go? Nobody knows Nobody knows Little black Welcome back. This is the Bradcast on KPFK. I am Brad Friedman. By the way, you can tweet me at the Brad blog. I don't know if we're going to have uh, uh, time to get to phones or not. It's just in case we are. 818-985-5735 if you want to ring in. 818-985-KPFK. I do have a lot to cover, but uh, well, let's see what I can get through and what I can get to, and then we will get to uh, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. You're not going to want to miss that. One year 
after uh, Hurricane Sandy. Superstorm Sandy, I should say, and our exclusive concerning Chris Christie and David Koch in that regard. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, Diebold, our good friends at Diebold, you remember them. They make the voting machines that are still used by, uh, so, I don't know, something like two-thirds of the states. We're still stuck with their voting machines. They still say Diebold. Some of them say Premier on them because Diebold Election Division at one point changed their name because their machines were so crappy and could be so easily hacked. And it was hurting their stock prices. It was a 150-year-old company. They became famous back in the 1800s during the Chicago fire when the only thing left standing was safes made by Diebold, papers that were kept in these uh, these iron safes that withstood the great fire uh, in Chicago and Mrs. O'Leary and her cow or however that happened. Uh, so they had a great name, this company, uh, until they started turning out voting machines and until the CEO of the company, Walden O'Dell, back uh, at the time, back in 2003, sent out a fundraising letter to Republican donors Uh, promising that he was committed to delivering Ohio's electoral vote to George W. Bush. Probably not a smart idea for the CEO of a a voting machine company, the second largest voting machine company at the time. That didn't help. Uh, Well, it's been sort of downhill for Diebold ever since, and justifiably so. This company is terrible. They lied. They lied over and over and over again about their voting machines, not just their touchscreen machines, not just the touchscreen machines uh, with no one, you know, without these so-called paper trails and not just their touchscreen machines with the so-called paper trails. But also about their optical scan paper ballot systems. They lied. They were caught lying time and time again. These machines are inaccurate. They can be easily hacked and so on and so forth. They lied also about their stock prices Uh, back in. They settled a suit back in 2010, settled an SEC fraud suit for manipulating their stock prices. Uh, let's see, that was, uh, they admitted in 2008 they had overstated 2007 election division revenue by some 300% in hopes of manipulating stock prices. So we have the people who make the voting machines actually lying <laughs> about the numbers. That should give you confidence. So in 2010, they settled a suit for $25 million. And, oh, there's this just last week from the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer. A U.S. attorney says the latest charges against uh, Diebold are in response to, quote, this is from the U.S. attorney, a quote, a worldwide pattern of criminal conduct by the company. Federal prosecutors filed charges against Diebold, Inc., accusing the North Canton, Ohio-based ATM and business machine manufacturer of bribing government officials and falsifying documents in China, Indonesia, and Russia to obtain and retain contracts to provide ATMs to banks in those countries. The two count uh, criminal information and deferred prosecution. They got a deferred prosecution. They're not going to be prosecuted for three years as long as they behave, as long as they pay some $50 million in penalties uh, to the uh, Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission. So, you know, they're a company, they're a corporation. They don't go to jail. You do. Uh, despite, let's see, at least 1.75, yeah, one and three quarter million dollars in bribes said to have been paid 
to the com- by the company around the globe in these bribes. No one will go to jail. And U.S. Attorney Stephen Dettelbach describes their behavior as a worldwide pattern of criminal conduct. But they get off the hook. They get a slap on the wrist. Oh, by the way, that $50 million sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Until you learn that their annual revenue at uh, Diebold is $3 billion. Billion with a B. And by the way, that's after they have sold off. They're, they sold off. Their, they finally sold off the uh, the voting division, the election division. They got rid of it. Sold it to a Canadian company. You'll be happy to know. Uh, so they're no longer in the voting business in theory. We are stuck with their crappy machines all over the country. Made by this company that promised to deliver the 2004 election to George W. Bush made by this company that has lied time and time again, that has been found guilty of fraud, bribery, falsification of documents. Seems kind of crazy to me. What what do I know? Uh, Meantime, as if all of that is not bad enough, and is it bad enough? Des, is it bad enough? Or should I keep going? Because I got more. I got got more I can tell you about. Uh, It's it's worse than that. You want to know? Yeah. Uh, you want me uh, Kansas, Kansas and Arizona. Do you know what they're doing? You, oh, your mic's not on. Oh, you lose. Oh. All right, I will tell you what they're I doing you had it on. in Kansas and in Arizona. They have now come up with an all new way to keep voters from voting. What did they do in Kansas? This uh, speaking of voter fraud fraudsters, this guy by the name of Chris Kobach, who is now the Secretary of State of uh, of Kansas. He's the guy who wrote the Papers Please Law. For the state of Arizona, uh, he ran for the secretary of state's office in Kansas on the uh, on the premise that uh, illegal registration of alien voters, he said, has become pervasive. But Chris Kobach hasn't been able to show any actual voting by these uh, supposedly illegal aliens in the state of Kansas. Still, he's sticking to his guns. And he says that uh, no one in Kansas can vote unless they can prove their citizenship. And uh, the same law, similar law was was passed in Arizona. You had to give proof of citizenship before you could vote. Problem is, <laughs> problem is, there's this little thing called the National Voter Registration Act. And it gives a, a, a federal form that can be printed out in any state. And you fill it out and you become registered in the uh, in the state where you where you live. Uh, but Arizona and Kansas now say, well, wait a minute, that federal form the so-called motor voter law, that federal form doesn't allow, doesn't require people to uh, give uh, proof of citizenship. All they have to do is affirm it in a checkbox under penalty of law. They'll be sent to jail. Uh, but that's not enough if you live in uh, Kansas or Arizona. The Supreme Court, however, disagreed. And they said, well, Arizona, you have to allow people to vote if they use the federal form uh, to register to vote. Same thing in Kansas. But Chris Kobach has an idea. And here is what they're going to do. They're challenging that law. They're trying to get the uh, elections assist, the Federal Elections Assistance Commission to add a requirement. If you live in Kansas, you have to somehow come up with proof of citizenship. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, some 18,000 voters are in limbo in Kansas, while Chris Kobach is challenging this law, is trying to get the EAC to add this uh, this requirement. Uh, 
as the Supreme Court said, you can go and make the EAC add that if they want. Well, the EAC so far is not doing that. Meantime, 18,000 legal voters uh, will not be able to vote at least in state and local elections. Chris Kobach has decided that the federal government can tell us, okay, we've got to let these people vote even without proof of citizenship. We've got to let them vote. Uh, in federal elections, president, vice president, uh, Senate, Congress, and so forth. But in, in local and state elections, we'll have a completely different ballot uh, for those people. And those people won't be able to vote in that election because we are a state. States' rights, we get to decide our own laws. The hell with the federal government. Sure, you can vote for president if you want, but we're not going to let you vote here in our elect. Well, that's what Kansas is now doing. Uh, they're preparing to have... Different ballots, depending on if you happen to have been one of those voters who use the federal form to register versus the state form to register. So far, this may affect some 18,000 voters, otherwise legal voters in the state of Kansas, uh, several thousand in Arizona. These Republicans can't seem to stop themselves from trying to figure out how to keep people from voting. I told you the war on voting continues. All right, uh, moving away from that and moving towards the Green News Report, Desi Doyen. So, so get on deck. Should, should we play your music? Yeah, let's play. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, play her uh, theme song. It's there we go. not easy It's just to green. warm you up. Desi's on her way. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Because we... Hi, Des. We and use this... Uh, pass you over. We mentioned this story, this Chris Christie story. We mentioned this Chris Christie story in our latest Green News report that we're going to play in a moment, but uh, there, there's uh, we didn't have time to go into it in detail during our Green News report. That's right. So uh, I wanted to hit some of this. You remember back in 2011, uh, I broke the story at Bradblog. I had obtained these secret tapes, secret Koch Brothers tapes from inside a, uh, a Koch Brothers, do I have it here? Where's the One of their here? secret yeah. meetings? Yes, a secret meeting. Uh, billionaires and millionaires and billionaires were meeting up there near Vail, Colorado. Um, to and, get their marching orders from the Koch Brothers. Yeah, prior to the 2012 election. Right. That's right. Which uh, Charles Koch uh, described uh, the 2012 election as the mother of all wars for the life and death of this country. <laughs> I guess he lost. I guess the country's dead. Uh, and uh, that's how he he introduced it. Uh, but the security was so tight at this thing. They put uh, speakers around the outside of the, uh, the 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 banquet hall where they where they were having this uh, dinner and where Chris Christie was secretly going to be the, the the keynote speaker that night. They put these speakers to pump pink noise out into the mountainside so nobody could listen in with long range parabolic microphones. Somehow. That plan didn't work because Bradblog.com ended up getting the actual audio tape uh, of of the goings on there, and we broke the story at uh, at Mother Jones at the time as sort of the precursor to Mother Jones's uh, Mitt Romney forty seven percent video. You may recall that. Um, in any case, since Chris Christie is up for reelection next Tuesday. And since he's been running around like, oh, look how moderate I am, and oh, it's been one year to the week since one year, one week, one, one, year, one year to the day to the day of uh, a superstorm Sandy, yeah, uh, and he started taking a curtain call. 
uh, I think it's important to notice what it was that David Koch had to say about Chris Christie when he introduced him for this secret uh, keynote speech. He said uh, he called Chris Christie, quote, my kind of guy, a true political hero. He boasted that he met with uh, Christie secretly for about two hours, just the two of us. Let's see, we have uh, some of this. Uh, this is clip, but uh, yeah, number clip number three. It's a little hard to hear, but it's David Koch introducing Chris Christie uh, back in 2011 at the Koch Brothers Super Secret Summer Meeting. G? Uh, it is a real privilege for me to be asked to say a few words on, on behalf of Governor Chris Christie. Five months ago, we met in my New York City office and spoke just the two of us for about two hours on his objectives and successes in correcting many of the most serious problems of the New Jersey state government. At the end of our conversation, I said to myself, I'm really impressed and inspired by this man. He is my kind of guy. He's my kind of guy, says David Koch about Chris Christie, who is running for re-election next Tuesday in New Jersey. He also went on to laud Chris Christie for dropping out of the regional greenhouse gas initiative. Uh, he got cheers for that. This was a, a regional agreement to limit greenhouse gases. Um, and uh, <laughs> It's actually a very successful agreement, by the way. It's, it's bringing in uh, revenue from polluters who are having to pay for the right to pollute up in the Northeast. And it's actually bringing in revenue that then goes towards clean energy programs and other mitigation. And Christie but dropped Christie pulled out. out yeah. yeah, he pulled out of that just weeks after a secret one-on-one meeting that David Koch, you heard him bragging about, had with Chris Christie uh, in New York City at, at Koch's office and just months before the state, before the New Jersey shore would be devastated by a record hurricane, Superstorm Sandy. Uh, and yet David Koch was uh, lauding Christopher for uh, uh, Chris Christie for uh, dropping out of that agreement. Well, of course, because, you know, as we know, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, for those who don't know, would negatively impact the Koch brothers' business empire. That is their business model, is they're invested in oil and chemistry, uh, oil and chemical industries, and uh, that's their business model, is being able to pollute for free. To pollute for free, to waste for free, to have the government clean it up for them. (laughs) Which is the taxpayer. It is indeed. And we talk a little bit more about this in our latest Green News Report, which we bring to you now. Kick it, G. It was, here's your life, your whole life, your memories, everything. And it was gone. One year later, the lessons of Superstorm Sandy. At some point, they're going to have to say, look, we we just can't be here. It's too risky. Scientists question rebuilding in coastal areas. We're already committed to four feet more of sea level rise. And warn of future climate impacts. Plus, it's official, the Poles are having a heat wave. No, not the Polish. All of those Polish jokes and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It is one year since Hurricane Sandy ravaged the East Coast. The mainstream media continues to use the storm to push a global warming agenda. And Fox News keeps ignoring the story to keep pretending none of this is happening. This is your Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, yes, Fox News continues to complain that the mainstream media talks about global warming and Hurricane Sandy in the same breath. Here's an example. Every single time in the stories where they're talking about Sandy and either global warming or, or uh, climate change, they're linking the two. Imagine that. I know. They're it's, linking the two. It's crazy that science would actually be able to do something like actually link extreme weather events to climate change. But hey, that's Fox News. Tuesday marked the one-year anniversary of Superstorm Sandy slamming into New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut on October 29, 2012, one of the most expensive storms in U.S. history. Sandy killed at least 117 people and left millions without power. The storm and its 14-foot storm surge caused an estimated $65 billion in damage just days before the 2012 presidential election. And remember, the impacts of climate change weren't even mentioned in the presidential campaign. I do. And it was shameful. One year later, the East Coast is still rebuilding the hundreds of thousands of homes and buildings that were destroyed and the infrastructure that was heavily damaged. Recovery in the hardest hit areas has been very slow. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie blames the unprecedented resistance of Republicans in Congress to passing disaster assistance legislation. These are problems when people still aren't back in their homes. Uh, but we warned of this way back when. You know, uh, it took 92 days for the Congress to get the aid to the Sandy uh, victims. Uh, that's compared to 10 days for Katrina and 17 days for Gustav. Yes, and you know what else Governor Chris Christie was warned about while he's out taking curtain calls for his response to Sandy? He was warned about global climate change, and he pulled out of the regional greenhouse gas initiative anyway, the landmark agreement of northeastern states just after meeting with David Koch up in New York City secretly, as Bradblog.com reported exclusively in 2011. That's true, and the right wing applauded him for that. They did indeed, and we have the audio to prove it at bradblog.com, the secret Koch Brothers Chris Christie audio tapes. Superstorm Sandy exposed the vulnerability of the East Coast and sparked a serious review of disaster and emergency planning for the increasing long-term impacts of climate change, especially related to storm damage. NASA's Dr. Radley Horton warns global warming boosted the flood damage from Superstorm Sandy. Sea levels were higher when Sandy hit than they were, say, 100 years ago. As a result of that, the damage, the water piling up, um, was higher than it would have been before we had that sea level rise. And sea levels are rising primarily because of increasing greenhouse gases. Even if storms stay the same, higher sea level rise alone is going to mean more frequent coastal flooding and more destructive coastal flooding when it happens. That means difficult decisions ahead for all coastal communities in the United States, says sea level expert Ben Strauss of Climate Central. We're already committed to four feet more of sea level rise. Committed, locked in, in the future. Okay, and that's enough to put more than 300 American towns and cities, many of them in New Jersey, mostly below high tide. Which, the experts warn, at some point will have to impact land use decisions at the coasts, especially for insurers, says sea level expert John Miller. At some point, they're going to have to say, look, we, we just can't be here. It's too risky. If government's not going to do it in a gradual manner, I think the insurance companies are going to start regulating. Meanwhile, it's official. September 2013 was the fourth warmest September on record for the planet. The six warmest Septembers on record have all occurred in the last 10 years. It was also the warmest winter on record down south in Antarctica since record-keeping began nearly 60 years ago. 
Antarctica also just had its warmest September on record. Normally it's about 60 below, but it hit a downright balmy record high of minus 17 degrees on September 13th. And a new study now concludes the Arctic is the warmest it's been in 44,000 years. All of that is impossible because Fox News keeps telling me that the globe is actually cooling. Oh, who to believe? For much more on that and the stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Remember, you can download us anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us 24-7 on on the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, Sandy. Oh, yeah, I know. (laughs) But I just want to say really quick, uh, thank you to everyone who, uh, again, uh, uh, pledged during the fund drive. And we had quite a few reports that occurred during the fund drive when we were not on the air. So please, you know, feel free to go over to uh, greennews.bradblog.com to check out the reports that we did uh, while we were out. And the GNRs you missed. Some of the best ones ever. (laughs) We like to think so. Yeah, go to iTunes, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, or or greennews.bradblog.com. Com. Let me, very quick, uh, let me go to a, a caller. I got about 30 seconds. Uh, Mark Taylor Canfield, a journalist uh, from up in uh, Washington, has been covering the move for GMO uh, labeling, an initiative that's on the ballot. Hey, Mark, are, are you there? Yeah, Brad, good to talk to you. I got a quick update. Uh, you only got about 30 right seconds. In the of this battle. November 5th is the, is the date, although it's a mail-in election here. But uh, Joe Connolly at the Seattle PI described the response to the effort to label genetically modified foods by the corporations as a shock and awe campaign because they've dumped $21 million already into the No on Initiative 522 campaign. And then also today there's a cover story in the Seattle Times about how the uh, outcome of this election could affect legislation in the U.S. Congress regarding the labeling of genetically modified foods across the country. There's currently a couple of dozen states actually who have some kind of legislation pending regarding genetically labeling the and of course and of course monsanto and the grocers association put in millions to misinform the people thanks mark for trying to inform them with actual information uh and, and i'm sorry that i'm out of time otherwise i'd talk to you more so good luck washington state on tuesday in uh the gmo labeling initiative 522 my thanks to desi doyan our producer and to g our soundboard operator and of course mark taylor canfield for checking in with us stay tuned for john wiener the four o'clock report We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog, at bradblog.com, and uh, you know everywhere else. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America. <laughs>